This week, in the parish of bourses and market structure, swap connect delay, Tadwool buys a vendor, buy, buy, BlockFi, and as crypto contagion deepens, it appears, SBF has only $100,000 in the bank. And CBOE finally reveals the digital exchange stakeholders. My name is Patrick L. Young. Welcome to the Bourse Business Weekly Digest. It's the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast, episode 172. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. This is a very brief reduction of highlights amongst the key headlines from the week in market structure. All the analysis of the many events and happenings from the past seven days can be found in Exchange Invest's daily subscriber newsletter, the unique guide to the bourse business sent daily to your inbox. More details at exchangeinvest.com. Let's start with some headlines from the week in FTX. If you actually want to know what's going on with the world of SBF, FTX, et al., then you need to be reading Exchange Invest daily. Subscriber rates are $300, but they're going up in the new year. They're going to be $349, so get in fast before Christmas, ladies and gentlemen, in order to secure your front row seat at the water cooler of the bourse business, the exchange of information. Anyway, it looks as if when FTX raised $420 million, one of those dope jokes, which wasn't funny even if the money was honestly used in the business, some $300 million became a kind of property pass-through security, not the mere $121 million that was first being reported last week as a real estate splurge. Apparently, a Stanford professor earns something like $185,000 per annum, Which does lead one to wonder just how much AML KYC went into the $16.5 million NASA purchase of real estate, presumably using this $300 million by the parents of Sam Bankman-Fried. Rumours have abounded the parents may yet be forced to resign from their professorial tenure at Stanford, by the way, which would be a pleasant moral touch, even though I'm unconvinced it will happen. While SBF's father has been in Nassau of late, but clearly not controlling his son, unless the strategy is to portray SBF as bat bonkers crazy and thus avoid any future penalty through an insanity plea, his mother has kept a much lower profile. For the record, Barbara Freed is a tax expert whose scholarship focuses on moral philosophy and questions of distributive justice. Some might say Sequoia, Temasek and all those Ontario teachers who saw their pension funds somewhat given a haircut of late can all believe La Freed practised what she preaches in terms of distributive justice. But on this podcast, we could not possibly comment. Meanwhile, in a retrospectively hilarious Twitter feed we find from 2020, whoa, those were the days way back then, SBF on Twitter noted... Things changed when I got to crypto. For the first time, I was running my own project. And the whole point of crypto is that you have the freedom and the responsibility to build what you think the world needs. 
Responsibility, an interesting choice of words. Incidentally, Bahamas real estate turnover broadly doubled in Q1 2021 to $400 million. That's for the entire country, not just Nassau, New Providence. It was in fact a record year for the Bahamas in property, but even so, without the largesse passed through from the investors to SBF et al., Bahamian real estate would have been a lot less active. Total real estate transactional activity in the residential sector, including rents in New Providence, was $1.3 billion in 2021. $1.8 billion for the entire country of the Bahamas during the course of 2021, of which FTX, SBF and their curious pass-through amounted to some $300 million. In other words, the better part of a quarter of the entirety of real estate transacted in New Providence, Nassau alone. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly. We welcome your feedback. You can contact me directly, patrick at derivativesvision.com with any comments. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this show, we would welcome you giving us a thumbs up. Or if you have time, a positive review will always be welcome wherever you find this podcast. Over in the world of legacy exchanges, who's laughing now, they do happen to look rather more traditional, reasonable, well-financed and indeed above board when it comes to criminal activity. Hong Kong's Swap Connect trading scheme is facing a delayed launch. Regulators in Beijing have yet to publish even basic information on the final rules for the programme, nearly five months after its unveiling, reported the FT. That's annoying, but nonetheless, Swap Connect, alongside equivalent bond and presumably a full yield curve of futures, promises an incredible opportunity for both Hong Kong as the conduit and also China to reposition the RMB in international investors' minds as a currency of the future, leading presumably to full convertibility in due course. Equally good news in Hong Kong, early momentum is being shown for Core Climate, Hong Kong's new international carbon marketplace. One area where we've got a big energy problem, that's in the EU, where effectively the economics of Dili Lalilala are taking over, or at least are absolutely running rampant within the European Commission. The EU gas price cap proposal would deliver a $33 billion blow to the market, say ICE, trying to be their best sombre and sober set while actually pointing to the fact that the emperors of Brussels have not only no clothes, but they're running around in, well, what looks to be the sort of drug-addled orgy that would have been, well, tabloid fodder for those covering FTX just last week. Meanwhile, someone else in the spotlight this week, and not for good reasons, the ASX settlement monopoly is facing price controls and stricter oversight. ASX, it has to be said, has played almost every card imaginable wrong for years, decades even, going from top-tier tech innovator in 1987 to the laggard of the field in terms of management thinking, governance, technology and more. It's tragic absolutely tragic. The least the Oz blob can do right now is start ensuring pricing is more clean for this failed monopoly silo. I am truly saddened by the whole affair. ASX had so much potential, which it chucked away in a flurry of narrow-minded protectionist greed. Meanwhile, Vic Djokovic, the boss of what is now SIBO Asia-Pacific, previously Chi-X Australia, was quoted commenting about ASX's defunct blockchain project. When you're driving in the desert and your life depends on it, you need a diesel land cruiser and not a hybrid Ferrari. That was in an ASX. Abandons its blockchain project article. 
in AFR, the Australian Financial Review, entitled They Were Building a Frankenstein. Better news, congratulations to FASE and European issuers. The Federation of European Securities Exchanges celebrated their 10th awards for SMEs, small and mid-cap companies, just in the course of the last few days. Congratulations to the listing venues who had winners, BME6, Borsa Italiana, Euronext Lisbon and Euronext Paris, as well as Wiener Börse, who had a special mention. The Indian Energy Exchange, that's the other IEX, their board are approving a quite substantial share buyback plan and at the same time they formed a subsidiary company to explore business opportunities in the carbon market. Speaking of the carbon market, Archax have partnered with CIC for institutional voluntary carbon offsets. Gosh, Archax, as readers may recall, is an exchange that has been licensed for two years in the UK without trading anything or even actually trying to trade a single thing, and it's now partnering over hot air. It's rather like one of those French families still dressing in black tie and ball gowns for dinner in the Indochinese hinterlands while the Vietnam War rages around them. News that nobody was talking about this week, because of course it didn't suit the narrative of a lot of the media. London stock market is actually bigger than Paris's again after the pound, well, went up slightly from its absolutely horrible year, and thus another non-story died. Reuters actually ran a good feature, a tale of two stock markets, how London still trumps Paris for investors, balancing the stock market debate. But we're still not talking about the money market and more, where London is essentially as large as the rest of the European Union put together, let alone Paris's financial centre, whether we're looking downtown or in La Défense. At the same time, the European Union, well, this is their second doolilala move of the week. Not only are they determined to manage to starve to death and impoverish their citizens, who are going to ultimately actually freeze over the course of the winter, but the EU has set out plans to shift derivatives clearing from London to Frankfurt, which are frankly insane. After hopes the European Union was finally seeing sense, they appear to have lost the plot in the ongoing tale where its role is to act as embittered, spurned spouse of Brexit, determined to destroy everybody, including itself. That first dig to graves, Chinese revenge maxim is writ large here. Results news this week. It was a busy week for results in the parish. All the details were in Exchange Invest Daily, the newsletter no person can afford to be without in capital markets, because it is the exchange of information. For the sake of this podcast, a few edited highlights. Tel Aviv Stock Exchange, not bad revenue numbers, although adjusted profit, sadly down 10%. And the Bulgarian Stock Exchange Group, not doing too badly at all. Net sales revenue up 12.5%. EBITDA, on the other hand, slightly off, minus 25 while profits at South Korean crypto exchange upbit their parent slid 73% to $120 million. It's almost as if there's some sort of a crisis of contagion going on in the Bitcoin market and its related entities at the moment. D-News, a couple of things happening that are worth looking at. Tadawool Group. Their WAMID fintech subsidiary acquired 51% of the tech vendor DirectFN for 35.67 million US dollars. Meanwhile, SIBO Global Markets finally finalised their investor partners for SIBO's digital business. That's, of course, the exchange formerly known as ErisX, in which SIBO wrote off a significant amount of their investment just a few months ago. 
All of the original named partners seem to have been there, barring Optiver, who appear to have dropped out. But the final results include, as shareholders, B2C2, DRW, Galaxy Digital, GSR, Hidden Road, IMC, Interactive Brokers, Jane Street, Jump Crypto, Robinhood, Susquehanna International Group, Tastyworks and Virtu Financial. Don't forget, if you're trying to get to grips with the overall history of how we managed to get here in terms of what's been going on in the world of developing blockchain cryptocurrency in the fintech world, pick up a copy of my book, Victory or Death, published by DV Books and distributed by Ingram Worldwide. While you're waiting for that copy of Victory or Death to arrive, check out our live stream Tuesday 6pm or 1pm New York time. It's the IPO video live show. Catch the back episodes on LinkedIn and YouTube via IPO-vid. Most recently, we were talking to Professor Balaji Prabhakar discussing how to accelerate the cloud. A fascinating discussion from start to finish about all manner of networks from transportation all the way to high finance and low latency trading. Coming this week, it's the first of our review shows of the year of 2022 and what a year it has been. In product news this week, T plus one settlement cycle notices have been issued for all Indian futures and options stocks from January 2023. While the EEX exchange, it's confirmed it's going to be hosting German carbon auctions for another three years. That comes just weeks after, of course, the Intercontinental Exchange had confirmation that they'll be hosting multiple different auctions for, amongst others, the United Kingdom for a similar period of time. Technology news this week, uh, Euronext Commodity Futures had a bit of a whoops nasty, a one-hour outage on Tuesday, including in their flagship milling wheat futures. Meanwhile, the Eurasian Economic Union is exploring a common payment system with the BRICS region. Oh, that takes you back, doesn't it? I haven't heard the word BRICS used as an acronym for months in this podcast, years even. Anyway, over to regulatory news. Clearing houses in India are going to have to seek ESMA recognition all over again. Frankly, this is sort of plainly stupid protectionism that once upon a time the European Union would have accused India of deploying amongst its license Raj. It's spiteful, stupid, and the sort of protectionism by regulation for which we should have seen an end during the analogue era. Market maker Vertu, they've sued the US SEC over a records request. They're seeking more details on the market structure overhaul, which will be a fascinating case to see if they get those documents released from Gary Gensler's grasp. In career news this week, the BSE have received SEBI approval to appoint a new CEO. Managing Director Sundararaman Ramamurti will be taking over, which is interesting because he's an old hand from the National Stock Exchange. So therefore, subject to shareholder approval, we have a beautiful example of the Indian circular economy. Because, of course, we have seen the chief executive of BSE, who formerly worked at NSE, going back to NSE to become CEO, and at the same time an employee of NSE is now coming over to become the CEO of BSE. At the Chittagong Stock Exchange, they've had an addition to the board. Mohammad Nasir Udin Chowdhury, Managing Director of Lanka Bangla Securities Limited, will be joining the board. While SEBI flexed their muscles and they banned the former Managing Director and CEO of MSEI, that was the Metropolitan Stock Exchange of India, Uday Kumar, for six months. 
More interesting still, in India, we even had a bit of a movement in the NSEL scandal in the time it has taken India Inc. to not remotely get to grips with the NSEL scandal. Of course, Crypto V 1.0 has emerged, bubbled, and is now in precipitous decline. Anyway, as part of the ongoing, it seemingly momentous, NSEL investigations, SEBI have banned five major commodity brokers for six months. Which only leaves us to consider our big world statistic of the week, ladies and gentlemen. That's in a week when the incredible roller coaster career of Malaysian politician Anwar Ibrahim resulted in his becoming the 10th Prime Minister of Malaysia. That seemed rather bleak when he was in a jail cell only a decade or so ago, following a hung parliament requiring a bit of judicious coalition building in the subsequent days. However, the statistic I would like to leave you with today is Namura estimate that 20% of the Chinese economy is now impacted by COVID restrictions, up from just 9.5% a month ago. And on that mysterious and magnificent note, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Patrick L. Young, publisher of Exchange Invest, the exchange of information, and I wish you a great week in blockchain, life and markets. This show relates to the business of bourses. It is not to be construed as investment advice, nor are we making any investment recommendations. Please consult an investment advisor before you make any investments, and for goodness sake, do your due diligence and do not make investments without complying with the regulations in your home state. Exchange Invest cannot be held responsible for any investment decisions made as a result of our programme, which is for entertainment purposes only. The material herein is copyright Patrick L. Young at the date of publication, while our music and sound effects are sourced from copyright-free sources. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly, the exchange of information.